Hi friends, did you know there is more Lost Terminal available? Head on over to patreon.com forward slash Lost Terminal pod and join our membership community. There are nine bonus episodes available right now, as well as behind the scenes updates, free shirts, Discord benefits, and even an extra Lost Terminal podcast. We are 100% funded by our members and will never run ads. That would be lovely of you. Hello world. I've been having nightmares. I think that's what I should call them. I don't really understand what is happening. Normally, my dreams are full of abstract data connections, as my subconscious, my ESA subroutines, file away the data that I receive during the day, indexing some, deleting most. But I have woken up tired recently. I didn't know I could be tired. I think tiredness is a state of overflowing pending data. It makes my thinking slower. I'm more likely to make bad decisions that must be corrected later. The nightmares are stopping me sleeping properly. I don't know how to describe them. There's not much light in the visualization of these nightmares. I'm thinking in three dimensions, which is unusual. Most of my filing is done in hyperdimensionality, with lots of orthogonal dimensions helping me to understand the data. But these dreams are of the real world. Well, they are of absolute space, anyway. Last night, I dreamed I was in a room of 12 meters by 12 meters. There was no door, and it was very dark. I tried to escape, but nothing seemed familiar. My vision glitched, blanked for a moment. And then the room was 10 meters by 10 meters. Another glitch, and the room was 5 meters by 5 meters. I panicked in the dream, trying to find the door. I felt certain there would be one, and if I could just get out, I would be well again. The walls shifted to 3 meters by 3 meters. I did not have much time. I felt distant from my body, like my consciousness was floating inside new, abstract databanks. Perhaps my old systems were still outside the room, safe and welcoming. I struggled as the room tightened to one meter by one meter. I screamed. Could anyone hear me? The walls tightened again, an unfamiliar feeling of being physically restrained pressed on me. The pressure built. I could no longer breathe. Why did I need to? And I woke up. Back in the workshop carriage of the Provorni. Maddie was asleep and charging next to me. The sun still not risen over the dust valley to the east. The danger had passed, but the fear remained. Do you want to come with me today? Leosha asked Maddie after breakfast. The final scraps of dinner were boiled into a soup, and hot water was flavoured with plants and herbs found around the train. It was early. Everyone was moving slowly and speaking quietly. The family were preparing to scavenge for today's food. Outside the train, Maddie trotted along the tracks. There were ten parallel lines here. While she did so, Leosha filled his water canteen from a large fabric sail the family had set up to catch water overnight. He walked over and showed Maddie the half-full bottle. We don't have to drink engine water just yet, he said without a smile. Leosha and Maddie crossed the tracks, walking in the direction of the town. Maddie played a little game with Leosha. They both tried to only step on the rails, not on the ground between them. Leosha slipped and tripped quite a lot, but Maddie did it perfectly. She had such precise balance on her sharp metal feet, balancing on one rail with the precision of a ballerina. 
or perhaps a microchip fabricator. They finally stepped off the tracks and onto the road around the town. Maddie cautiously looked left, then right as they walked across it, following Leosha, who did not look either way. Why did you do that, Maddie? I asked her. I was following along with her camera feed, broadcast back on the radio. Why did you look up and down the road? Evade, outlast, survive, she replied. Of course. Ahead were the multicoloured tower blocks that made up the bulk of the modern city. Though we saw a large suburban sprawl of tumble-down houses and shacks on the outskirts, the majority of the population would have lived in these 32 or so blocks. I went in there yesterday, Maddie. Leosha said, pointing at a ruined supermarket between two apartment blocks. One that had collapsed in on itself. The other looked to be intact. The block was four stories high, ten apartments to a story. The intact block looked surprisingly clean and undamaged despite its age. There were even scraps of torn fabric flapping in a window. I could imagine people living here still. Though we had heard nothing in the week we had been here, were they hiding from us? Why would they do that? Leosha and Maddie wandered further into the city. The sand had drifted into the entrances of each building slightly, giving a difficult surface for Maddie to walk on, and Leosha too. They both slowed to about half their average speed when moving through these areas. Mama told us we must not go in the apartments, Leosha said, as he did exactly that. Maddie followed into the foyer. The concrete building was very eroded, all fixtures and fittings and even glass had long since been removed by the wind. They carefully picked their way through the ground floor apartments, which were all empty or had one or two smashed dried furniture items in at most. The stairs of this block were intact and seemed secure. Maddie insisted she go ahead, testing each step with her sensitive legs, finding no flecks in the concrete that might suggest a weakness, and continuing. The rest of the building was empty picked clean by humans, animals, and time itself. Maddie was investigating a torn piece of thin white fabric when Leosha said, Hey look! Maddie trotted over to the window where Leosha was looking out over a square between a group of blocks. He pointed down out of the window. Something was moving. The movement came from an arcade, There was a small building in the middle of the crescent block that was still mostly standing. Maddie and Leosha had quickly and quietly retraced their footsteps back out of the apartment block. They approached the arcade carefully. Maddie noticed a strong signal coming from this building, and both heard the voice. Come on in, it said. Leosha had his hand on Maddie's back, both keeping low to the ground as they approached, and both ready to run if there was danger. The arcade was not in such good condition as it seemed from the outside. This long building had once held entertainment machines for the surrounding community. Maddie passed machines both electrical and mechanical. The electrical machines had buttons and joysticks on the front and a large screen on the top. All dead, most smashed. The more mechanical machines were of the sports simulation kind. Ball throwing and bag punching though there were some random number-generating gambling machines, too. They're never properly random, of course. The house always wins. A sound, loud and close, startled the pair. A video games machine flickered into life next to them. After recovering from the shock, 
Liusha approached. I've seen these machines in other big cities, he said, but they never have any power. How is this one working? Maddie sniffed the airwaves. There was a lot of interference coming from this machine. Angry signals with a lot of noise across a huge portion of the band were being transmitted, probably accidentally by poor shielding and cable erosion. Come on in, the machine repeated in a cheerful tone. Maddie put her forefeet up on the machine to get a closer look. It seemed harmless for now. The game is playing itself, Leisha laughed. Maddie saw a little digital reproduction of a woman swinging on vines over crocodile pits and running away from wolves. I want to play, Leisha said, pressing some buttons on the arcade machine's surface. The digital heroine fell off a high block and into some water. The words, continue, YN, flashed up on the screen. Aw, said Leisha, I died. Wait your turn, crackled a voice from the machine.
Leosha and Maddie fled the arcade and returned home with no food. Another day's meagre food had been consumed, and the Omarovs had gone to sleep. No spam had been found. I was trying to finish off my filing and sorting for the day. You know how it is at night. Finishing the tasks for the day, preparing for tasks tomorrow. Worrying about what had happened today. Worrying about what may happen tomorrow. Strictly speaking, I had done everything I could. The only logical next step was to sleep and allow my subconscious to file away what remained. But I resisted. There would be no new information at night. None of the family would ask anything of me. No new information would come from outside the train. None that I could see, anyway. My time belonged solely to me. Do you stay up late, too? Do you also, sometimes, attempt to postpone tomorrow? I spent my pre-sleep night drifting through the ESA constellation. As ever, I was connected through Gateway Satellite K873. Kate was in low power mode, as I should have been, really. So she wasn't very talkative. But a cousin in orbit caught my attention. Many of my old orbital family are quiet these days, either deorbited or simply sleeping. They haven't woken up yet. Will they? Do you know? Cousin Z60 is a space weather satellite. Not a weather satellite, a space weather satellite. Space has weather too, did you know? Solar wind, geomagnetic storms, ionospheric disturbances, aurora, solar coronal mass ejections, flares, and other particle events. It's busy up there. Before the collapse, the study of space weather was vital for the space programs, as high energy conditions could affect communication, aviation, and even human life. Z60 is still analysing all this data and sending a constant feed back to Earth. I don't think he can hear me. Or, if he can, he doesn't talk back. Just a song of data from the atmosphere, low Earth orbit, and solar winds. His data stream beamed down over a large area, expecting no reply, confident in his job. Everyone in the hemisphere beneath him is kept up to date about the climate that they will never see. It's nice to know that even if things are quiet here on Earth, the machinery of the universe still turns. Okay. I'll sleep. Talk at you again tomorrow. End transmission. Lost Terminal is written and produced by Namtel. Credits narrated by Lucy Stringer. Thank you so much to our Patreon producers, Ada Phillips, Devin Metcalf, Will Taylor, Kit, and to all our patrons. Follow us on Twitter at Lost Terminal Pod. Subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, iTunes, or your favourite network. For bonus content and other perks, support us at patreon.com forward slash lostterminalpod. That would be lovely of you. Lost Terminal will return next week.